Hello and welcome to the IT Governance Podcast for Friday the 5th of August 2022. Later on, Cami will be talking to our CEO, Alan Calder, about how cybercriminals will be taking advantage of the economic downturn and why it's so important to maintain your cyber defences through a recession. But first, here's the news. Security researchers from WithSecure have warned of a malware campaign dubbed DuckTail, which has been targeting Facebook business ads users since the latter half of 2021. According to WithSecure, DuckTail is designed to steal browser cookies and take advantage of authenticated Facebook sessions to steal information from the victim's Facebook account and ultimately hijack any Facebook business account that the victim has sufficient access to. Victims, frequently those in managerial, digital marketing, digital media and human resources roles, are first targeted with phishing messages on LinkedIn, where they're invited to open malicious files hosted on legitimate cloud services such as Dropbox and iCloud. The files are typically named using keywords related to brands, products and project planning, but of course, download malware. Once the malware has been installed on a victim's machine, it extracts stored Facebook session cookies for each browser it finds. It then directly interacts with various Facebook endpoints from the victim's machine using the Facebook session cookie and other security credentials that it obtains through the initial session cookie to extract information from the victim's Facebook account. The criminals can then give themselves admin and finance editor access, enabling them to edit settings, people, accounts and tools, and edit business credit card information and financial details like transactions, invoices, account spend and payment methods. They can also add businesses to victims' credit cards and monthly invoices, and use victims' payment methods to run ads. Facebook commented, We welcome security research into the threats targeting our industry. This is a highly adversarial space and we know these malicious groups will keep trying to evade our detection. We're aware of these particular scammers, regularly enforce against them and continue to update our systems to detect these attempts. Because this malware is typically downloaded off-platform, we encourage people to be cautious about what software they install on their devices. Facebook business administrators are advised to review their account users under Business Manager, Settings, People and revoke access from unknown admins and finance editors. Talking of social media, Bleeping Computer reports that data relating to 5.4 million Twitter users, including their phone numbers and email addresses, is apparently for sale on a criminal hacker forum for US dollars The seller, who uses the moniker Devil, said, Hello, today I present you data collected on multiple users who use Twitter via a vulnerability. 5,485,636 users to be exact. These users range from celebrities to companies, randoms, OGs, etc. The seller told Bleeping Computer they'd used a vulnerability to harvest the data last December before it was disclosed to Twitter via the HackerOne platform on the 1st of January and patched on the 13th of January. According to the HackerOne disclosure, the vulnerability allows any party without any authentication to obtain a Twitter ID, which is almost equal to getting the username of an account, of any user by submitting a phone number or email, even though the user has prohibited this action in their privacy settings. The bug exists due to the process of authorization used in the Android client of Twitter, specifically in the process of checking the duplication of a Twitter account. The vulnerability is similar to the one that allowed attackers to scrape the account data of 533 million Facebook users in 2021. Twitter commented, We received a report of this incident several months ago through our bug bounty program, immediately investigated thoroughly and fixed the vulnerability. As always, we're committed to protecting the privacy and security of the people who use Twitter. We're grateful to the security community who engages in our bug bounty program to help us identify potential vulnerabilities such as this. We're reviewing the latest data to verify the authenticity of the claims and ensure the security of the accounts in question. 
Volkswagen has been fined 1.1 million euros, approximately 920,000 pounds, for using surveillance cameras in breach of the EU GDPR. According to the Data Protection Authority for Lower Saxony in Germany, a VW test vehicle was stopped by Austrian police near Salzburg in 2019, the police having noticed unusual attachments on it, which turned out to be cameras, which were being used to test and train the functionality of a driver assistance system. However, VW's use of the cameras breached the GDPR in four ways. First, it had neglected to add signs to the vehicle to inform other road users that they were being recorded, in violation of Article 13. Secondly, it didn't have a data a processing agreement with the company that was carrying out the test in violation of Article 28. Thirdly, no data protection impact assessment had been carried out in violation of Article 35. And fourthly, there was no explanation of any technical and organisational measures implemented in violation of Article 30. The Lower Saxony Authority acknowledged that these were all relatively minor violations, the State Data Protection Officer Barbara Thiel observing that the actual research trips were not objectionable under data protection law. We have no objections to the collection and further processing of personal data. Finally, you'll remember that, as I mentioned in our 23rd of June podcast, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport published its response to its consultation on the future of data privacy law in the UK on the 17th of June, clarifying the government's position as outlined in the official briefing notes for the Queen's speech, which announced the data reform bill at the state opening of Parliament in May. Last week, the government introduced the bill, which is now called the Data Protection and Digital Information Bill, to Parliament. I'll be honest, I haven't read it in its entirety yet. I've been on holiday and 192 pages of proposed data protection reforms aren't exactly my idea of a relaxing summer read. However, from a quick skim, it seems that its contents are in line with the consultation's proposals, even if a few of those proposals haven't made it as far as the bill. I'll provide an overview of the bill's main proposals next time, ahead of its second reading in the Commons when it'll be debated by MPs on the 5th of September. That was the news. Now, it won't have escaped anyone's attention that inflation is soaring, prices are creeping up, consumer confidence is falling, and the country is sliding into recession. We're all obviously looking for ways to reduce expenditure and make savings. However, against the backdrop of the economic downturn, cyber attacks are increasing in severity and scale at an unprecedented rate, driven to an extent by opportunistic criminals who know that their targets will be reducing their security investments as they try to cut costs. As I talked about on our last podcast, there were more ransomware attacks in the first quarter of 2022 than there were in the whole of 2021, and the number of phishing attacks have reached an all-time high, with the quarterly total exceeding 1 million for the first time. IBM's new cost of a data breach report, meanwhile, put the average cost of a data breach at 4.35 million US dollars, or 3.57 million pounds. Clearly, it's a false economy to cut back on cybersecurity. At times like this, you need to be able to demonstrate that your services are as reliable as possible. But how can you maximise the return on your cybersecurity investments to ensure your organisation has the defences it needs? Earlier, Cami spoke to Alan Calder about the current threat landscape and what organisations can do to keep themselves safe and secure. So I suppose let's kind of just dive straight into it and talk a little bit about the sort of current cybersecurity landscape. We've obviously had quite a rocky past couple of years with the pandemic and the Russia-Ukraine war, and now we've got a recession moving over our heads. So how has all of that impacted the cybersecurity industry and the market space, and what do you think we can expect to see in the future? I think the development of serious organised crime and the cyber 
capabilities has happened in parallel to all of the economic challenges that we've seen. Uh, and the growing realization in the cybercrime uh, underworld that cybercrime is a very lucrative uh, industry with extremely good return on industry, return on investment of time and effort uh, is is just continuing and is driving the growth in uh, in, in in crime. Uh, Organizations for a long time, both in the public and private sector, have paid lip service to the idea of cybersecurity. Uh, it's been something which they've thought they uh, uh, should be seen to be doing, even if they're not spending money on it, because after all, it's a cost center uh, and, and, and they should avoid it. Uh, and of course, that's got to be more and more difficult for organizations to do because they've suffered significant breaches and repeat breaches because cyber criminals are smart. They know that if they've breached you once, they'll be able to do it again. Uh, and that's led increasingly to a growth in the range of government regulations, of uh, of client requirements around cybersecurity and around privacy protection. Uh, and that combined with newspaper headlines has driven an increasing number of managements and boards to think, well, actually, maybe they need to do some proper investment in cybersecurity. They actually genuinely need to spend money in it. And so we've seen over the last probably 18 months or so an acceleration in uh, budgets. There's still a much greater number of boards saying they're doing something significant about cybersecurity than the evidence indicates they actually are doing something about cybersecurity. And of course, as we go into uh, possibly a recession, the reality is there will be a number of boards going, well, uh, maybe we shouldn't spend money uh, anyway, because, hey, um, you know, we're not aware of the fact we've been breached and, and maybe it won't happen to us. Uh, and then, of course, one of the most short sighted decisions any organization can make, because once you've been breached, there's not a lot you can do about it. It's a kind of, uh, you know, it's it's like getting hit by a train. Uh, you can't say I've just got hit slightly by a train. You're in serious <laughs> trouble. Um, and uh, and that means that when you're dealing with a breach, you're going to spend an awful lot of money uh, time and effort recovering from it. Um, you're going to lose customers, your reputation is going to get damaged, uh, and then you're likely to be facing some form of regulatory fine because almost certainly there'll be data which is compromised, um, personal data that's compromised. And, and that means you're going to spend a chunk of money you did not need to spend. And you're going to be doing that right in the middle of a recession, which is kind of when you need not to be spending money that you don't have to spend. And on top of spending money you don't have to spend, the next thing you're going to have to do is do what you should have done in the first place anyway, because your board and your shareholders and your customers are all going to go, uh, actually, why haven't you done this? So you're going to need to put in place proper cybersecurity and privacy uh, measures. And while you're doing that, chances are cyber criminals will be back for a second go because they know it's going to take you longer than a couple of days to get your defenses up to scratch. So the right thing for any organization to do uh, when recession looms is to increase your expenditure on cybersecurity. Cyber criminals know perfectly well people are likely to decrease expenditure, criminals target vulnerabilities and weaknesses, they'll find you out uh, and you will be in trouble and you will be facing spending money you really, really, really don't want to spend uh, in much larger quantities than you didn't want to spend it. So now's the time for organizations to really get stuck into cybersecurity. Very much a case of invest today, secure tomorrow.
invest today, secure tomorrow, survive tomorrow, uh, and increasingly for organizations demonstrate to your clients that uh, you're a safe place to be doing business. So there is a, a positive benefit, not just a secure survival benefit, but a thrive opportunity because your clients go, well, these guys are secure. They've got a whole bunch of badges, Cyber Essentials Plus, uh, ISO 27001, uh, whatever, they're, they're secure. Let's deal with them because we don't have a danger or a risk dealing with them. Let's not deal with these other guys here who are skimping on that critical area of cybersecurity. Yeah, and according to the IB, uh, IBM's latest cost of data breaches report, the average total cost of a data breach has increased by almost 10% year on year, which is apparently the biggest increase in the past seven years. And quite obviously, this is impacting everything and everyone. But how is this sort of specifically impacting the cyber insurance industry? Well, um, there's one other interesting statistic, which is that um, of the the total breaches which are publicly reported are estimated to form around about seven percent of the total breaches that occur so about 93 percent of all data security breaches don't make it into the public domain they do make it into insurance claims um, and organizations keep them secret because you know they know it's going to damage their reputation uh, uh, but the cyber criminals know it's been successful so they're going to come back anyway um, so what we've seen over the last couple of years is cyber insurers coming to the conclusion that much as they suspected a long time ago, cyber breaches are virtually uninsurable because the potential size of the breach is so huge. The uh, the financial exposure is so huge that that it's like flood damage. You can't insure it safely without an awful lot of uh, maybe government support and so on. But nevertheless, cyber insurers have gone ahead because there's demand for it. Uh, and and now those chickens are kind of coming home to roost a bit in the cyber, in cyber insurance industry. So what they're doing is, um, and many organizations have seen this, you're seeing uh, insurance premiums going up anywhere between 100 and uh, 200 percent. You're seeing the number of organizations providing insurance going down because they're just getting out of the market. They lose money at it. Um, and we're seeing more and more insurers getting very specific about the measures organizations need to put in place uh, in order to have insurance. So a bit like you see insurers saying, well, we'll give you uh, um, premises insurance against theft, let's say, but we need to have evidence of burglar alarms, of fire alarms, of uh, window locks, of proper physical security and all that kind of stuff. Um, increasingly, they've been saying we kind of need to have evidence that you've got proper multi-factor authentication, vulnerability scanning, phishing training and all the things which reduce their exposure as insurers. And of course, most organizations are going eek. My premium is going to go up and I got to do stuff that I don't know how to do. So uh, insurers are driving uh, organizations to think much harder about how they secure themselves. So I suppose on that note, from like a cybersecurity perspective, how can you guarantee that your organization is accepted for cyber insurance? And or I suppose what are the main reasons that organizations aren't accepted? You, you can't guarantee it's a commercial decision that uh, insurers have to make, but like any other uh, um, key significant insurance for an organization. Uh, the best thing to be doing is to uh, A, be able to demonstrate that you've got genuine uh, cyber defense in depth. It's no good just having you know a bit of vulnerability scanning where you do a phishing test every year or two. You need to have genuine cyber defense in depth, which enables you to demonstrate in the uh, technical uh, uh, people and policy domains that you've got genuine working 
tested, maintained security processes in place. You also helpfully need to be able to demonstrate you haven't had any breaches. You know, you, you think about uh, motor driver, driver insurance. You go along and say, I've had five major accidents in the last five years. Can you give me some motor car driver insurance? And most insurers go, um, no, because uh, you're obviously just not a good risk. You have the same issue if you're an organization. You go along and say, look, I've had three big breaches. Um, can I have some insurance against the next three? Uh, and the insurers kind of go, um, no, no, not really. <laughs> Absolutely. You actually just touched upon there about cyber defence and depth, and it's something that you have spoken about on the podcast quite recently. Um, could you just give a quick overview again for our audience, like what is cyber defence and depth and sort of how does cyber insurance sort of tie into that whole strategy? Sure. So uh, it's a kind of truism uh, in the security industry that uh, if you think you haven't been breached, that's just because you're not looking close enough at what's going on. Uh, every organization sooner or later is going to suffer a breach. And the breach might be for something as simple as a member of staff deleting a folder uh, that they didn't mean to delete or uh, uploading uh, a customer file to the web that they really should not have uploaded. That's a breach that gets you into uh, GDPR trouble, um, but you're going to have uh, some form of attack. Every organization all day long, cyber criminals, nation states that back them are not particularly selective about who they're going after because what they're really interested in is who has vulnerabilities. So um, they're looking for, broadly speaking, two types of vulnerability. One is technical weaknesses, like um, you're operating oh, uh, uh, a Microsoft Windows operating system, which has not been supported for the last few years. Uh, and because not supported, there's no patches that come out for the most recently identified vulnerabilities because nobody's identifying vulnerabilities apart, of course, from criminals. Um, and there are large swathes of organizations that think saving money on IT is a good idea, like the National Health Service, um, that will be operating with uh, uh, um, systems that are just no longer supported. Um, there are many uh, public utilities in a similar position. There are many private organizations which go, hey, we'll never be attacked. So who needs to upgrade our operating system? Um, so, so that's the first, vulnerabilities that are not patched, out-of-date um, uh, uh, systems, applications or operating systems, uh, people who, when they get the notification on their desktop that says you need to update your uh, software today, go, well, I'll wait a month or so because who knows, uh, maybe it'll be the wrong update or, 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 or it's very boring or whatever it is. Um, cyber criminals, typically, by the time you've got an update, cyber criminals already know about the vulnerability. Their attacks are automated. They're wide scale operating across the internet. So, that's the reason why most uh, software companies will provide updates very quickly, uh, why scanning companies, uh, anti-malware companies will provide updates to anti-malware software typically once or twice a day rather than once or twice a month. It's because the speed at which vulnerabilities are identified and exploited by uh, bad actors is, is huge, is very fast. So you need to be aware of what's happening on your uh, internet perimeter, um, technically and in terms of people. You need to be scanning your uh, your, your internet-facing uh, assets for today's vulnerabilities so that you can patch them fast. Continual vulnerability scanning is part of your first layer of defense. Your, your, the other part of your first layer of defense is people. People receive emails. You can protect yourself from uh, that vulnerability by you know, getting rid of all staff, um, alternatively <laughs> not not having any contact with anybody else. That, that's another way of 
eliminating that, but then you cease to be in business. So you've got to have a way of dealing with incoming email, the fact that people are out on the internet, they're collecting data. All of those uh, um, activities mean that there are opportunities for uh, malware to be inserted, a phishing attack, whatever it is. Uh, and as a defender, you've got to be 100% successful in identifying and stopping all of those attacks. The attacker only needs to be one time successful. So they can hit you with a thousand attacks in a day, every day for a month. They only need one of them to work and they're in. You need to stop a thousand of them every day for a month and thereafter. So you've got to train people. People have to be aware of where the risks are every time they go onto the internet, every time they receive an email. Um, and, and it's phishing emails which are the favored attack and which have been uh, industrialized by cybercrime and cyber criminals. Uh, uh, so they're very effective, they're well put together, and the successful phishing attacks of a year ago are not what people are deploying now. They've, they've got very much more modern. So you need a, a phishing awareness program which updates people on a quarterly basis at least. You can't just say, well, I've, I've trained them once a year because you know three months later they'll go, this can't be a phishing email, it wasn't covered in my awareness training, I'll click on the link and you know, bingo, you're dead. Um, so, so that's your that's your first level is is dealing with what's happening on the perimeter of the organization, the human and technical perimeter. But stuff's going to get through. So you need to have a second layer of defense, which is about um, when it gets through. How do you deal with the incident? Who does it get escalated to? Um, how do you deal with internal technical control, security architecture, um, and the, the kind of key areas that you need to be addressing are really more advanced training. So making sure you've got IT people who have uh, proper cybersecurity qualifications, uh, um, frameworks like Cyber Essentials and Cyber Essentials Plus, which are dealing with very basic technical cybersecurity at a level greater than simply vulnerability scanning. Um, so, so that's your, kind of your second layer of defense. It's catching the stuff that your uh, outward detection uh, um, um, through the net thing has got through. So you're capturing there um, and stuff's going to get through that. So you need actually then to be thinking about what are our crown jewels? What's the critical uh, areas inside the business, the critical assets? How do we protect them? Who are our key suppliers? How do we deal with the risks that come from them? So you need to have a layer of defense which is much more sophisticated and comprehensive, typically in the form of something like ISO 27001, but there are other standards. You know, the Network and Information Security Directive has a, a cyber assessment framework. Uh, in America, there's the NIST standards, but but it's a it's a risk-based management-driven uh, framework that drives a much more comprehensive set of information security controls across the organization and its ecosystem of suppliers and customers. That's not going to be enough because stuff's going to get through. So you need to have a method of recovery. Uh, and recovery means business continuity. Uh, you know, we see uh, in all of our uh, um, uh, RFPs from customers, for instance, the two things customers ask about right at the beginning are, what are your cybersecurity arrangements? And what are your business continuity arrangements? Um, and what customers want to know is that when you are breached, as you will be, um, and you have to recover, how are you going to do that? What's your fallback? How do you back up your systems? How well tested are your backups? Do you have a disaster recovery site? So your, your fourth layer of defense is really, how do you recover? It's, it's how do you uh, uh, rebuild, get yourself back up and running within a minimum time that enables the business to continue operating. Um, and of course, uh, some of that still won't work uh, and will be expensive. So you need to be able to access money. Uh, 
Uh, and your fifth layer of defense really is about how to mitigate the impact of a cyber breach. So you need cyber insurance, but cyber insurance should be the thing that you treat as simply the final fallback, the, the, the thing that you hope you never ever have to use because your other four layers of defense in depth are well integrated, well put together, uh, solid, tested, effective, uh, and are gonna keep you out of trouble. Yeah, basically a business is very, very porous and things are going to trickle through and it's just you hope you can put enough things in place to stop it from getting to that final level. And yeah. wouldn't it be lovely if cyber defence in depth could be bundled up into a package? Which, <laughs> which, of, I course, suppose, yeah. which of course we've done. Exactly, uh, that's where Cyber Safeguard comes in. Um, this is obviously a relatively new product for IT governance, but a really, really exciting one. So can you give us a little bit of an overview about Cyber Safeguard? So what is Cyber Safeguard and why should organisations be seriously looking at it for their cybersecurity strategies? So the uh, what makes Cyber Safeguard such a brilliant option for organisations is that it's effectively uh, cyber defence in depth in a box. Uh, you give us some money and uh, you can pay us monthly or annually um, and we roll out to you a combination of continual vulnerability scanning, continual staff awareness training, uh, incident response, uh, um, uh, the, uh, the additional standards that sit behind that uh, and cyber insurance. Uh, cyber insurance can be up to half a million pounds depending on whether you've also got uh, cyber essentials or cyber essentials plus as part of your overall approach to cyber security um, and you don't have to apply to an insurer for that because the fact that you have subscribed to our cyber safeguard uh, offering means that you get up to half a million pounds worth of cyber insurance embedded in the offering. So if you're doing all of the things that you should be doing and you're breached, you're able to automatically make a claim for up to half a million pounds to cover uh, the cost of recovery. Uh, that means you don't have to go through the trauma of trying to prove to a broker that uh, you know what you're doing. You don't have to uh, get worked over because it's so expensive. You just simply get in a box, in a package, uh, something which means that you may never need to claim, claim on your cyber insurance. And I think one of the most important things with cyber safeguard is basically, if you've got cyber safeguard with all the different sort of elements that you have, like vulnerability scanning and staff training and all the other bits that we put into that box, you shouldn't ever really need to claim on insurance unless, you know, the wor absolute worst happens. Absolutely right. Um, and, and if you do, assuming you've done the things that you're supposed to have done, you're not going to have an awful lot of argument from the insurer about saying, hey, can you prove that you did, uh, you know, you had these kind of controls in place because it's built into the package. You've done the things that you should have done. So the process of claiming should be an awful lot simpler uh, than it will be if you're trying to do it all on your own. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm just conscious of time, but Alan, obviously, thank you so much for joining me on the IT Governance podcast. And everyone, please do check out Cyber Safeguard. You can look at it at itgovernance.co.uk. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Cami and Alan. Well, that's it for this time. As ever, you can get in touch with us either by leaving a comment on the blog or via Twitter at ITGovPod, that's my account, or at ITGovernance. We'll return in a fortnight, but until then, our archive is on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And you can find everything you need to implement and maintain cybersecurity defense in depth on our website, itgovernance.co.uk.